Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Bespoke Post. Visit bespokepost.com slash smart for 20% off your first purchase. A podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. This is Smart People Podcast, and I'm John Rojas. I am Chris Stemp, mixing it up. I like it. We switched it up today. I don't know why, but hey, you guys get a different kind of intro this week. I think it's because I've had a glass of Blanton's. Yeah, you know, next time... I think we should drink every time on the show. I agree. I was just going to say, why don't we... Hammered interview. No, not hammered. I've tried that before on a podcast. It does not work. But why don't we pour ourselves glasses of something, and then we get our guests to do the same thing, and for like the first minute, we're just like, so what are you drinking tonight? I don't know if that makes you very smart. Anyways. All people that drink are smart, right? (laughs) Hemingway definitely drank like bourbon or something. All these guys drank copious amounts of alcohol. I know you didn't join us to listen to us talk. Thanks for joining us today. Smart People Podcast. We got a great episode lined up for you today. It's one that I feel like if you are in the business world, you need to hear. But it also, it's kind of scary because it is hard to sell stuff these days. It's hard to market. It's hard to get your name out there, be seen. It's just tough. But after listening to our guest today and perhaps picking up his book, go through our website and click on the Amazon banner, you will know how to reach these people. John, you want to tell them a little bit more about what we got going on? I'd love to, but before we get to that, I've got to do a little corporate shilling. So just take a quick minute and listen to this week's sponsor. You know what that sound is. It is another box of awesome from BespokePost.com, our great sponsor. If you guys didn't listen to last week's episode, first go do that. But then check out BespokePost.com smart. They send you an awesome box of man stuff 
at the beginning of every month. It could be anything from last week we opened one up and it was a full bar set, glasses, shakers, measures, all this good stuff. We are going to open the second box we received on the show again today and just give you another idea of what you get. All right, let's cut this one open. All right, let her rip. Uh-oh, Q. What does that mean? I'm guessing barbecue. barbecue. Boom. Oh, wow. Some cool, some great pepper. Oh, man, this pepper is going to be awesome. Oh, mustard. Some mustard. 100% natural mustard. We got some jalapeno. That mustard looks amazing, by the way. This is like, oh, I'm ready to open this. Look at this. Oh, good. This one, I can taste it right now. Mmm. Honey. Are these cutting boards? No, those are cedar planks for, for barbecuing is. like fish and stuff. You put them on this you and put then a, a fish on top of it. And the cedar kind of gets into the yeah. fish? Oh, it's multiple. It's cedar, oh, hickory, hickory. Oh. and what else? Alder. And alder. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, they smell so good. I got to be careful with this one. Oh my gosh, smell that board. The honey. Smell that board. Yeah. Oh, it smells fantastic. It's basically a full awesome set to barbecue some good stuff aside from the meat. Sir Kensington Gourmet Ketchup. It's a gourmet grill set. I mean, you throw some fish, some steaks on here, put these spices on, and you're going to be the talk of the town. There's a whole spice bag. Yeah, I have no idea what this whole spice is. I don't know. Rip it open. No, it's, it, it smells way too strong. Hey, and some blue corn tortilla. Do not rip that open. I'm going to open this top real quick. It's a, it's a spice bag. Dude, there's multiple spices. It's spices. Yeah, so which kind? Oh, these are like... Napa Valley, straight from oh, Napa Valley. They look like rubs. Oh, seasoning. I can't even, chim chimichurri, chimichurri. Moroccan harissa seasoning, chipotle and honey rub. The rubs, man, everything to make a kick-ass barbecue. This looks awesome. Remember, head over to bespokepost.com slash smart and save 20% off your first box. Yeah, give it a shot. I mean, it's 45 bucks. The value of the box is always more than you would normally pay for it. It comes once a month, gives you something to look forward to. Everybody loves getting stuff in the mail. And this box smells amazing. Yeah, I'm going to eat something. I'm starving. All right, so now that we got that over with, we are speaking with Jay Bear. Jay Bear is a marketing strategist, speaker, author of a new book called Utility, and that's Y-O-Utility. I thought it was clever. Utility, why smart marketing is about help, not hype. And you might have heard this before, right? This, this idea of you have to help your customers. You have to form that bond, that relationship, and that is going to turn them into a customer for life. That's what Jay talks about, but he really gives great detail. He gives you examples. He tells you how to do it. And that's because he has not only started five companies, he has consulted with more than 700 since 1994, including Caterpillar, Nike, Allstate, Petco, all those good guys. He was named one of America's top three social media consultants by Fast Company, and his Convince and Convert blog is ranked as the world's number one content marketing resource. Since we are talking social media, please make sure to tweet us at SmartPeoplePod, follow us on Facebook, and head over to iTunes, leave us a rating, a comment, a five-star review would be greatly appreciated. And also, I know a couple of you have been doing this, but if you like it, tweet at us and the guest. So this week it's jbear, at J-J-A-Y, bear, B-A-E-R, and let them know. Enjoy this week's episode with Jay Bear.
the first thing I wanted to ask you was, I read you have done over 50 podcast interviews just since your book came out. Yeah. And I wanted to know which one was your favorite and which one was your least favorite. Oh, man, that's a tough question. <laughs> I know. I don't even know. They don't stick um, out. They just kind of run together. Sometimes they do. Yeah. Sometimes they do. The ones I've done with people who I know pretty well or who have worked with me in the past. And so it kind of, uh, because of that background can dig a little deeper. Those are some of the ones that are, that are fun in particular. So like stuff I've done with Mitch Joel or John Jantz or Ann Handley or people like that, who, um, you know, I've, I've worked with for quite a while. That's kind of fun. And some of the podcasts I've done around book marketing or other elements of the book beyond just sort of the book contents itself. That's kind of interesting to talk about sometimes too. Now, what does a marketing guru such as yourself, what podcast do you listen to? I listen to a few. I listen to Mitch's show, uh, generally speaking. I listen to the Marketing Profs podcast. I like that very much. Um, I'm listening to the new one that my friends... Uh, Mark Schaefer and Tom Webster uh, are putting out. Um, I listen to the Beancast a lot of times. I listen to Marketing Over Coffee. Um, and then there's a few uh, here or there uh, that are non sort of business podcasts that I try and tune into just for, for a break. I also like uh, the Work Talk Show that cool. DJ Waldo uh, and, and Nick are doing. That's a, an interesting uh, interesting angle, kind of how how people get work done. Yeah, no, that's something that John actually loves a lot. We tend to ask people some questions about, you know, their work and, and how they do that kind of thing. I want to jump into all of the things you do with your newest book, Utility, and your consulting and social media. But before that, we kind of like to get a brief idea of who was Jay before he was the marketing social media expert? You know, I know you've started companies and all that, but what did you do to get to that point? Um, I started pretty early. I I was in politics initially uh, and then got out of politics and got into client-side marketing, did that for a little while, and then got involved sort of accidentally into the internet uh, around 1994, so pretty early in that game. And um, worked on a series of, of digital marketing agencies and um, either in a management role or something like that. And then in 2000, I sort of struck out on my own and started my own uh, firm and and have kind of stayed with it uh, ever since. So it wasn't it, it's similar to what Chris Brogan says, which is uh, uh, it took 10 years to be an overnight sensation. <laughs> now, you said you accidentally got involved in an Internet company. And I want to make sure that I read this right. The guy that was your partner in this accident, he actually came up with web hosting. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So back in the day, right, um, You, in order to have a website, you had to have a server. Right. It was literally one domain per box. And he invented the partitioning algorithm that allowed you to run multiple domains on one server. So somewhat inadvertently invented the virtual hosting business. Um, and we were, for a short period of time, the only guys in the world who could do it. And that company went from, I don't know, maybe 200 dial-up internet customers in Arizona to 1,200 hosting customers in 23 countries. And that happened in about 45 days. I mean, that's that's unbelievable because 
I try to explain to Chris, you know, the web hosting for our site and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. And I think he just looks I have at no it, idea. Yeah, and doesn't <laughs> appreciate it. But the fact that that you guys were involved at, I mean, the ground floor for coming up with that. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. That's really cool. Yeah, and I and and it, it's not us. It was him. I was just the sales and marketing guy, and had had nothing to do with it other than than making sure that people understood uh, at least a little bit what it was for. But it was still so early. It, it was one of those circumstances where you know, other than a very small percentage of real early adopters, people are like, why do, why do I need that? Like, you know, what, why is that interesting or neat? Why do I need a website at all, much less one that I can host uh, for a relatively inexpensive fee? So it was, uh, it was the early days. You know, they talk about uh, sort of the allegory of sleeping on the floor, and, and uh, that, that was true. Like, I mean, literally sleeping on the floor to make sure, you know, you could reboot the servers when they inevitably went offline. Did you guys have any idea of what you were really starting there? I mean, did you did it ever cross your mind of this is going to change things? I think we we were all close enough to it to understand that the genie wasn't going back in the bottle. Gotcha. Gotcha. But to think about where we were then and to think about where the web is today in terms of just being almost air in that it's around us and envelops us all the time. No, I don't think any of us could have predicted that. Wow. Hmm. So Jay, you started five companies, consulted for over 700 of the top companies in the world. And I imagine that gives you a pretty good perspective on what works, what the people, you know, what companies are doing right, what they're doing wrong when it comes to marketing. With all of that in mind, does social media actually work or is it just a necessity now so you don't get left behind? Well, I think both. I think it can actually work, but just because it exists doesn't mean it will work. Uh, it's like anything else. It's like saying, does TV work? Well, I don't know. Are you good at TV? I mean, you know, if you're if you're good at TV, it will work. If you're bad at TV, it won't. And the same is true with social. Uh, and then the larger question is, do you know whether it's working, which is a whole nother issue entirely. But in terms of social participation, yeah, I mean, even in the, say, five, yeah, five years um, since I started Convince and Convert, you know, the, the nature of the questions has changed you know, almost 180 degrees from should we do social media to how do we do social media well, and and that's a pretty big leap in a relatively short period of time. And and I think in most industries, you have to participate at least a little bit, or your silence is somewhat deafening. But it's interesting you talk about this this must do concept. One of the things that we see quite a bit now with bigger companies on the consulting side is this dichotomy between reactive social and proactive social. Right, so. People are tweeting at us for customer service and how do we handle that versus how do we build sort of brand affinity uh, with messages that we put out there uh, proactively. And that's a, that's a friction point now in a lot of big companies. Actually, that's a really good point when you think about that as two completely different ways of communicating using the same medium. Yeah, it would be like uh, from a legacy perspective, if your customer service team and your ad agency were the same guys, right. Right? right? Which, you know, you wouldn't do that typically, nor would that be the case, except in a very small company. And that increasingly is the issue where you have people who are trying to help customers using the same tools and certainly the same venues and the same networks and the same technologies. 
um, that the marketing guys are trying to use to sell stuff. And it, it creates some uneasy alliances and strange bedfellows and all that. Now, what was there before social media? I was trying to think about that, and I don't really know that much about it. But how did companies reach people the same way prior to a Facebook, a Twitter, a LinkedIn, all that? Well, they couldn't reach them the exact same way, but but the the effort to reach people on a more individualized basis or a less official basis uh, might be targeted direct mail or telephone. Um, certainly email, I think, is a bridging technology between the truly old school era and the new school era. Um, you know, and obviously there's a lot you can do with with segmented and targeted email as well. But, you know, this idea of having communication from a company or being able to feel like you know a company or being able to feel like you even know somebody at the company that social really provides is unprecedented, right? I mean, when I was a kid, there was no let's follow um, a particular company that makes televisions or something or toothpaste uh, because you wanted to have some level of kinship with that company. It wasn't even on the radar. You know, I actually really like that brief 30-second response. And that question, I'm sure some people are like, dude, come on, how did you not know the answer to that? But it actually makes me think differently about social media just in the sense of, it's actually following somebody, you know, it's actually following a company. It's actually wanting, opting in almost to their information, which it was never like that before. It was always them just taking a fire hose and shooting it at you. Yeah. Even if you wanted to, there was no mechanism to do so other than if you think about, you know, you're going way back, there's been a lot of custom publishing and, you know, John Deere doing a magazine or other, you know, brands doing a calendar every year, that kind of thing. That's that's about it. It just wasn't really something that was that was done. I mean, email is definitely the the closest analog. And in fact, I have a presentation I give occasionally called uh, "Email is Madonna and Social Media is Lady Gaga." That <laughs> they are the, they are the same thing. Um, just one has a different coat of paint <laughs> uh, because strategically, you know, what you're trying to do with email is keep your brand top of mind amongst people who have given you permission to do so. And what you're trying to do in social media is keep your brand top of mind amongst people who have given you permission to do so. So the, the mechanics are actually much more similar than we often think about. I read something where you said, or I might have heard it, you said, through social media, you can tell your story and humanize your company, your product, your service, whatever it might be, and that helps sell things. Could you talk about that a little more? Because I think it's a great point. Thanks. I, and I don't want to oversell the point. Um, the way I look at it, we talked about this some in The Now Revolution, my first book, that what social allows you to do is develop some measure of kinship between the company and its customers or prospective customers. And that kinship breeds familiarity and trust and goodwill. And that should, over time, manifest itself in either additional dollars from the person who has that relationship with the company or their circle of influence, right? So, so kinship creates either direct sales or repeat sales or advocacy that in turn creates sales. That's the idea. But here's the key part that a lot of people miss. Social is not all-powerful. I actually don't think social media is particularly good as a customer acquisition tool uh, in most cases. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions, but uh, I, I feel like it's much better as a loyalty and retention play. But even at that, look, if your company sucks, <laughs> social media is the least of your problems. Right. Uh, and if your company is amazing, social media is just frosting on the cupcake. What social media does is it breaks ties. And, and the... 
example I like to use is is uh, baseball. Okay, so Major League Baseball season is incredibly long. It's 162 games. They play almost every day. And there's an adage in baseball that says that it does not matter. It does not matter who is on your team. You will, by definition, lose one-third of your games. And you will, by definition, win one-third of your games. What is the difference maker between a team that is in the World Series and a team that is terrible is how you play that middle third of the games. And to me, that's the role of social media is it breaks ties. If it's between you and another company that has similar products at a similar price point, if customers or prospective customers have kinship with your brand, then that will go the extra mile. That's the way I see it. So well put. And probably the first person, and we've talked to a good amount of people that talk about social media and, and marketing and all that, probably the first person that has said it in a way that makes sense to me. Because I feel like people get on and say, oh, you have to do this and you have to do this and then you'll be great. And I'm thinking they can be as nice to me as they want. But if their competitors $10 cheaper, I'm out. Like for the most part, you know? Absolutely. It's, and that's why people who say things like, you shouldn't do any advertising. You should only do social media. Um, don't actually understand business. Yeah. So transitioning into, although it's kind of similar, your newest book, Utility, Why Smart Marketing is About Help, Not Hype. I really love the entire concept of that. I do marketing and you talk about helping people versus kind of selling to them. So I guess first, could you lay down, in your words, the basis of this idea? You bet. And it's spelled utility, Y-O-U-tility, just in case there are uh, yes, good point. phonetic listeners out there who are <laughs> searching on Amazon and can't find it. Um, so the premise is that the difference between helping and selling is just two letters. But those letters are now massively important because if you sell something – uh, you know, you'll make a customer today, but if you help someone, you can create a customer for life. And the way you do that is by creating utility, which I define as marketing that is so useful, people would pay for it. It has so much intrinsic value that if you said, hey, man, would you kick in a couple of dollars for that? I'd say, yeah, I would absolutely pay you a couple of dollars for that because it actually is valuable to me. It's marketing that people want rather than marketing that companies think they need, which is how we've been doing it for 5,000 years. Off the top of your head, who's doing it well today? Well, fortunately, there's lots of companies doing it well. Um, we document you know, dozens of them in the book of all sizes and, and types. Um, you know, and you don't have to be a big company or a small company. There's, there's lots of different ones. The example that I, that I probably turn to the most because I think it encapsulates the idea um, the easiest um, is a small business example, and it's uh, a guy by the name of Taxi Mike. And Taxi Mike drives a cab in Banff, Alberta, up in Canada. And Banff's a big tourist town, lots of uh, bald eagles and skiing and majesty and whatnot. <laughs> lots of bars and restaurants in Banff and lots of taxi drivers as well. But only one taxi driver is a utility, and that's Taxi Mike. Once a quarter, he puts together the Taxi Mike Dining Guide to Banff. And he's no graphic designer. He just kind of lays this out on his computer, uh, takes it to FedEx or whatever it is up there, and and uh, makes a bunch of copies on that super um, that super yellow paper that you've seen, you know, like the golden rod or whatever they call it. it looks like a highlighter. Sure. He photocopies on that, uh, has them folded up into a trifold, like regular brochure size, right? 
and then delivers it to all the bars and restaurants in town. And when you're in Banff rolling around, you will see this guide on the front counter of a bunch of different places around there because it's so useful. He categorizes all the bars and restaurants. So you look in the guide, it's like, okay, here's the best sports bars, the best outdoor patios, the best happy hours, the best places to dance. And on the cover, he's got a map of downtown. So when you're in Banff and you've been to four or five bars and you're like, I got to find a way to get back to my hotel, you're not going to ask the bartender to call you a cab because in your pocket is this crumpled up, very yellow piece of paper that you've been looking at all night because it's got a map and all the information. He's basically like a one-man trip advisor. And it says right on the cover, Taxi Mike, 760-1052. There's his phone number. And he is so useful, in fact, that he actually also does computer repair. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty interesting because I can imagine as you, you pass this message along, you go into a company and they say, hey, we need help with this content marketing or whatever you want to call it. Do they often say, wait, we can't help that much because what you're asking us to give away is our product? You know, I feel like you're then creating a separate product to sell your existing product. Mm -hmm. Yes, you are. Um, and I do hear that from people. I say, look, they, especially in professional services, right? So my industry, uh, people say, oh, no, 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 we can't. We can't be that informational. We can't focus on teaching. We can't give that away. Uh, because then people won't have to hire us. <laughs> and and there's, two, there's two points there. Uh, point one is, as you mentioned, I've been a consultant for a long time. And the first thing I know because I've experienced it, which is if the decision matrix is we could hire this company to do something for us, legal, accounting, marketing, house painting, whatever, or we could read their blog and do it ourselves, that's not a customer you want anyway. <laughs> I can tell you that firsthand because they clearly do not value what you know. And the second thing is you've got to give away information snacks to sell knowledge meals, right? You're just priming the pump. Just because somebody has a list of ingredients doesn't mean they're a chef. There was so many quotes right in there that I'm like, oh, this is going on our social media. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Feel free. <laughs> No, and that's, you know, that's one of the things every time I hear people talk about giving away stuff for free, I always think of the music industry and what it could have been if right. they just got out of their old ways and said, hey, you want the top track on this album? Here it is for free. Because now we've got people just stealing those anyway, and that's all they wanted. But there are people out there that would hear that and go, I want the rest of it too. Yeah, or we'll give you the first 20 seconds of every song. Sure, yeah. No, it blows or my we'll mind. we'll give you everything time. but the drum track. <laughs> <laughs> now, that would actually be interesting if you isolated the the different channels of a song and we're like oh you want this song here it's not the full complete song You've it's got only the minor chords but <laughs> I, I think we just came up with a business <laughs> so thinking about all of this as i was reading your stuff i'm going you know what business has just gotten too hard like what happened to the good old days of having a good product and saying you need it you buy it yeah it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore i mean i you know i'm I'm a middle-aged dude, man. I've been doing this a long time. And, and I remember quite clearly uh, when media buyer was the easiest job, right? Because you had yes. two newspapers, two newspapers in every town, a handful of radio stations, you know, four TV stations and, you know, a magazine and that was it, right? So 
you know, the client had come in, say, I want to buy some ads, and okay, here's the media buy, go play golf, right? <laughs> right. And now media buyer is the hardest job in marketing because everything is media, right? It's it, it's crazy. Everything is is a potential uh, advertising environment. It's gotten very, very difficult. And perhaps more to the point, you know, you have to compete now against everything, right? It's If you think about your Facebook page or your Twitter account or even your email inbox, it's a combination of of personal relationships and professional relationships, right? You look in your Facebook page and it's like something from a friend and then something from a company and something from your wife and something from a company. And that's kind of unprecedented, right? Because the opposite isn't true. My friends aren't buying newspaper ads to make sure I know what's going on. And my wife's not buying radio time to make sure I know what time dinner is or whatever. <laughs> um, but yet companies are being forced to compete in these same venues that we're using to try and, you know, interact with the people that we actually love. So that's a real challenge, right? And that's why I think utility is so important because the way to succeed in an environment like that that's hyper-competitive, you know, you can't shout the loudest or, or, you know, or just be like, hey, today is an even better sale than yesterday. It's just not going to work. Um, so if you are truly useful, right, if you create marketing that has intrinsic value, that's the success ticket, but it takes a long time, right? It's, you can't be like, Hey, let's sell something tomorrow. Start now. Uh, you really need to say, okay, how can we seduce people with useful information, uh, and then yield results of that down the road a little bit. So how do you end up going out and recommending to people which avenues that they should shout down. Because like you said, there's so many social media tools. You've got blogs, websites, you know, niche blogs, yeah. certain influencers in different areas. Do you suggest that you kind of try your hand at each one and see which one fits you the best and which, I guess, you gel with? Or do you come up with that strategy beforehand to figure out which tools to target? It's a terrific question. It depends. On the social media side, on the straight up social side, what we advise is is you go where your customers are. So, you know, wherever you have a preponderance of customers, that's where you interact with them, right? You have a phone, not because you think phones are neat, but because your customers have phones. Um, and the same is true in, in social. On the utility side, though, which is much more of a content play than it is a social play, on the utility side, you create utilities yeah, again, in the places where your customers um, either are most likely to get their information or you create your utility in the environment in which it can be the most useful. So an example I talk about in the book is a mobile app um, for uh, Columbia Sportswear. And they have this mobile app called What Not to Do in the Greater Outdoors, K-N-O-T. It actually shows you how to tie knots. Um, how to like tie different kinds of knots right on your iPhone. So if you're camping or hanging off the side of a cliff, that's pretty useful, right? If you're recording a podcast, like less so, I mean, I'm not tying any knots right now, maybe in a little bit. <laughs> and there's two things I think are pretty interesting about that. One, Columbia Sportswear, which of course makes jackets and outdoor gear and stuff, they don't sell rope, right? They're not in the rope business, but yet they created this application because it's a value to their customers and it allows them to get involved in their customers' lives in a way that they wouldn't have been involved previously. And sometimes those were the best utilities, right? The ones that transcend the transactional, that, that do what I call marketing sideways, that sort of insert you into context where you wouldn't ordinarily be. But the other thing I think is interesting about that uh, example is that 
they didn't just say, hey, you know what would be cool, a not app. They actually did the work, right? They actually researched and studied their customers and surveyed their customers and said, hey, by the way, when you are outdoors doing outdoorsy type things, do you have your smartphone with you? And they said, yes, overwhelmingly, yes, because we either need it for GPS or we need it for safety in case somebody turns an ankle or is eaten by a bear. So they decided, based on that research, that the best place and the best way to convey a not database is on a phone. Now, they could have made a here's how to tie knots book, like an actual book you could fit in your pocket. They could have done a, a, a make a knots video blog. Um, they could have done a make a knots podcast, right? All of those things. They could have done a make a knots infographic. Now, all of those things are viable, but they did the mobile app because in that case, having it in your pocket in the field makes it the most useful. They didn't just make it up. They did the work, and that's what everybody should do. Is that one of the main things you try to teach when you go into a company or consult on when you go into a company? Yeah, it's a little bit counterintuitive, right? Like, so we've got all of this information now and all of this data. And, you know, you hear talk about big data and APIs and reports and all this. And that's awesome, right? But where good utilities come from and therefore where marketing success comes from, in my estimation, is deep customer insights, is really understanding what your customers' lives are like so that you can give them useful things that don't necessarily require you to talk about your company and your products all the time. I was just digesting that. That's like, that's deep stuff right there. But it's true. It, I, I feel like it's got to be hard, though, to understand your customers at that level. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, part of it's research and data and, and, you know, analysis and all those things, right? Big data helps, right? But part of it is just talking to your customers right? and actually making it part of your DNA that you're having customer conversations, um, whether that's focus groups or just calling them up or making sure somebody in your restaurant talks to them and, hey, how are you guys doing? And going around to tables, having the manager go around to tables and ask people, where are you from? How did you find us? You know, where'd you park? Maybe you need some sort of special parking app or some sort of special, you know, how to find the restaurants in our town, you know, steal the taxi mic idea. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I feel like we hide behind data now because it's so easy. Just getting it to say whatever you want it to say is, I mean. No, not, not manipulation so much as, as I remember, you know, I, I had a typewriter in college, right? So I've, I've sort of lived this evolution firsthand. And when I was an intern, um, we had a, a, a computer on our desk, but it was DOS, right? <laughs> I mean, so it was, it was literally like orange blinky cursor thing, sure. right? So that was not rad. Um, but because we didn't have any technology, we talked to not only our coworkers, but also our customers all the time because that was the only source of information we had. Now I can just turn on my browser and I've got like 18 different software packages that I can click a button and get some sort of data. But data and insights are not the same thing. So you actually need to sit down and, and talk with the people to get those insights because just trying to understand all this data that we have at our fingertips isn't enough. Exactly. And, and I, I wish I would have made that point stronger in the book because almost every single utility example in the book came out of at least some true customer conversations, like face-to-face -face hmm. sit-downs. And I don't think that's an accident. Right. No, it's, it's funny. I talk to Chris about this all the time because we'll get responses on Twitter 
or emails after we respond to somebody, if they ask us a question or give us some type of suggestion, and they're like, wow, I didn't think you guys would actually write back. And I'm always blown away that people still think that way, where we're not going to write back to them, because I grew up through this Twitter age and Facebook, and I could reach out to celebrities or whoever else, and they would respond to me. So I've become used to people responding and companies responding. Are, I mean, are you still surprised at the number of people that are just shocked at when companies do respond and engage and kind of build a community? Absolutely. But, but I think it's because while the circumstances where, uh, where, where, where companies do reach out are, are becoming more common, of course, mm-hmm. you know, from a math perspective, it's still quite rare. Uh, in fact, uh, there's some research that I published on my blog about a year and a half ago. It was something like 70% of all tweets are ignored. Huh. You know, wow. so it's still, it's still chances are, are, are worse than half that um, you're going to get a response at all. It's funny, too, because I wonder if the customer is always right has gone too far now that we're so connected. And it's because I was on the phone with an airline the other day. And they were trying to charge some absurd amount to because uh, I booked the wrong date. And I was saying to the guy, you know, don't you know this is 2013? I can go to any competitor and I can do all this stuff. And he basically said, sorry, that's the rules. And yeah. in the end, as much as I hated it when I hung up, I was like, well, if next time I go to book a flight, they're the cheapest one, I'm probably still going to fly them. Yeah, and that's one of those industries <laughs> that is so commoditized that yeah. it's really, really difficult to uh, to make that call uh, on some other attribute. Although, you know, I know lots of very frequent business flyers who are like, "Look, I will only fly airline X." In fact, it's funny you say that. I did. Um, I had some issues with with one of the major airlines a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, and you know, like both legs of my flight were canceled for no reason, stuff like that. It was just annoying, and I was a little bit upset, and I. And I've learned the hard way to not slam brands in social media. Not that I don't want to, but it's just I have enough of a of a footprint in social right. media that it tends to, you know, become did, a bigger deal than it needs to. Did so, it come back and bite you? Yeah, yeah. It not really bite me. I just, you know, it's, it feels like I'm beating up on people and that's not really my style. So, yeah. um, but I did go on because I'm just interested, right? So I went on to Facebook, my personal Facebook page, and I just said, hey, what's your least favorite airline? And I didn't mention mine. I'm just curious, right? And I got like 150 replies (laughs) almost instantly. And what was fascinating, because I actually graphed it out later, every single American airline was mentioned except for Alaska. All of them. So it, it made me think like, look, maybe there's really no such thing as good airline or bad airline. It's just luck of the draw, right? It's like a slot machine of inadequacy. Right. <laughs> that, that, you know, eventually you're going to get screwed by an airline. It just happens to be whoever you're flying that day. Completely uh, agree with that. You know, so it's, and at that point, like, what does brand even matter? <laughs> right. You're like, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's just, I don't care, whatever. I'll fly any airline. Although I do remember the, when I think of the nicest airline, I think of Virgin, even Virgin America and their cool purple lights. And the first time I flew, they left me one of those eye cover things. I mean, that stuck with me. If they weren't expensive though, that's who I would fly. Yeah. I think there's more differentiation on the, on the, on the favorite end than the, than the least favorite end. Right. Right. Well, I know we've uh, we've taken up a little bit more of your time, but it's it's been awesome. I really agree with what you're saying. It's just difficult. I think it's one of those things. 
it's hard work to create smart marketing. Yeah. But oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, it'll take years to get there. I mean, same way that it's taken us years to get our arms around social media. It's not going to be overnight. Yeah, exactly. But one way to kind of get, you know, take a step in the right direction is to check out your book. It's fantastic. Utility, as you mentioned, why OU utility, why smart marketing is about help, not hype. And where else can our listeners go learn a little bit more? I know you put a lot of great content out there and yeah. for those that want to devour it. Thanks. Um, so if you go to utilitybook.com, y-o-utilitybook.com, uh, there's a bunch of free uh, bonus material type things there, including uh, a pretty juicy free excerpt of the book itself. So if you're like, hey, this is an interesting concept, I'm not sure I want to spend $18 to $24, depending on where you buy it, on the book. Go get the free excerpt and, and then decide for yourself. The book itself is available in all the ways and places that books are available. Uh, your local independent bookseller, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, iBook, Audiobook, Read By Me, iBook. Um, if you're like, hey, where should I buy the book, Jay? Buy it in an airport because we're in all the airport bookstores right now. Uh, and I want to stay in the airport bookstore. So if you are flying over the next couple of weeks and you see the book, buy it there, please. I don't remember who we talked to, but they were they got their book in the airport and they were so excited. I didn't realize that that was a, a big thing. But recently when I was in the airport buying a book, I quickly understood why. <laughs> well, you know, it's a couple of things. One, because the airport um, charges full price as opposed to yeah. Amazon price. So yep. that, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me. I get paid basically the same way. Yeah. But the... The dirty secret is you don't get in the airport bookstore unless you're like a, you know, vampires or, or Harry Potter um, <laughs> unless you pay for it. So every business book that you see in an airport is paid for to be there. Wow. It's, it's pay to play. It's a shelf fee. So it either oh, wow. comes from me or it comes from the publisher or somebody else. And so um, somebody is paying money to put that book there and hopefully sell it. Now, the, the rule of thumb in the industry is that, look, you're probably not going to get that money back copy for copy, right? Uh, because not that many people buy books in right. airports. Some do, but not that many. It's not like thousands and thousands or anything. Um, but it's more because there's so many flyers and for business people who are flying all the time, it's just a really, really good awareness builder. And so the, 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 the yeah. concept is business people see the book in an airport, maybe you know reinforces that they've seen it somewhere else or listen to an amazing podcast like this one. And then they ultimately end up buying it maybe their next trip or they buy it at their local store or on Amazon or whatever. It's a real life billboard. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. It's almost like it's almost like e-commerce as billboard. Yeah. Nice. Well, Jay, thank you again so much. Great stuff. You know, all the best with the new book. And it looks like you don't need our best wishes because I know you're already <laughs> crushing it. So uh, thanks. I appreciate it. I really appreciate the time. Great stuff, guys. Absolutely. Thanks again. Yeah, take care. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to let us know. Reach out, smartpeoplepodcast.com. There's a contact us. We want to hear from you. Hopefully good stuff. But we take the criticism as well. There's been people that let us know what they don't like. Yeah, and I wanted to give a big, huge thank you to Henry, who helped out with some pretty cool audio processing stuff. He let me know, filled me in on some insider secrets for editing. So hopefully we can make these episodes sound even better. So thanks a lot, Henry. Really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening and see you guys next week.